Hello everyone and welcome to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are here to discuss a brand new book, Powerful Moments, published by Art Scroll, a book that I was privileged to author. And the question was how to go about doing this interview. And after extensive discussions with the people I call Ram, they came up with this idea for us to interview each other, for me to interview myself, something like that. Thank you, Rabbi Yitzchak, for having me. You know what? On second thought, maybe there's a better way to do this. It was a good idea. We could have tried it, but this is going to get odd. I agree, it's going to get a little awkward. So let's try something else. How about if we have Rabbi Hanania Kramer, the president of Koram Media out in Baltimore. He's actually the producer of our Inside Art Scroll program. We worked extensively together. Rabbi Hanania, it's a pleasure to have you here for this conversation. And I must say, before we start the conversation, that after this book has come out, I must have gotten as many comments from people about who's going to be doing this interview <laughs> as I have about the book itself. Well, Reb Yitzchak, thank you for having me have you on the show. And I should say that you're in quite illustrious company because we got all types of suggestions as to who should be the interviewer for this program. But no one was masking. No uh, one was willing to do it. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. We weren't stuck sure. with me. <laughs> we weren't sure which direction to go in. Some people suggested prior guests, Joey Newcomb perhaps, some others. Yeah. Um, but we are privileged, I'm privileged, that you agreed to do this. And I'm excited to talk about this new book. It is a, a, a big milestone, and uh, thank you again. And you're the host, so I guess... Yeah, that's it. So you, that's I'm a, not the one... I'm in charge here, man. <laughs> exactly. You're okay. the one doing the talking. Well, this is exciting. Powerful Moments, a new book by Rabbi Yitzchak Kissiger. I need to hear all about you first, though. I need to understand you a little bit before I can ask you a couple of questions about this book. All right? The Rabbi Hissiger that everyone knows as the host of Inside Art Scroll. Who are you? Tell me a little bit about where you learned, about where your background is, about the family. I need to understand. So who I am is still to be decided. You know, it's a work in progress. But uh, a little history I'm happy to share. I was born 40 years ago on Tu B'Shvat, actually in Tavshem Amalev. My parents are Rabbi Yisrael and Mrs. Raina Hisiger, today of Flatbush slash Lakewood. I grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm the youngest of six. I'm actually the Ben Zakunim on both sides of my family, interestingly. So I'm really the baby of the family. And um, I have four older sisters, one older brother, and I'll talk about that because my brother has played a, a seminal role in my life as a role model, someone to look up to. Um, and I was born on Tu B'Shvat, Tavshim Amalef, not long after Rav Hutner was Nifter. And my father had learned in Chaim Berlin, in fact, my grandfather, Rip Tzvi Yehuda Harry Hizger, my father's father, had a very close relationship with Rav Hutner. So I'm named after Rav Hutner. One of the first babies in Chutzlaritz to be named after Rav Hutner. Interesting tidbit. My grandfather's Masada Kedushan was Rav Hutner. My father's Sandik was Rav Hutner. My father's Masada Kedushan was Rav Hutner. I'm named after Rav Hutner. And my Sandik was Rabbi Aaron Shechter, the current Rashiva of Yeshivas Rabbeinu Chaim Berlin. And um, Another interesting connection is that uh, my grandfather, Reb Harry Hiziger, was one of the pioneers in East New York, pioneers as far as Yiddishkeit is concerned. And he was an activist. He didn't get married till age 40, in 1940. 
and uh, he impacted a tremendous number of the youth in East New York, most prominently Lieutenant Birnbaum, who acknowledged to me when I wrote an article about my grandfather about 10 years ago that he was a shaper of many of the youth in East New York, Reb Moish Swerdlov and others. And my grandfather somehow, despite being educated only in public school, he had a malamed, I believe, in the afternoon, but like many of the youngsters of his time, he wasn't zeichet yeshiva education, but somehow he had a tremendous ability to recognize true Tairashkafa and connect himself to Gedele Adar. And when he heard that Rav Hutner came to America with his rebbets in Masha and was staying at the home of his father-in-law, Rav Lifshitz, in East New York, he made his way over to Rav Hutner, to the Lipschitz house. And as the story goes, he found Rav Hutner reading the dictionary, teaching himself English. And my grandfather connected himself to Rav Hutner and was instrumental in getting Rav Hutner his first job here in America. My grandfather was involved in the National Council of Young Israel. And through that, he had a connection to Irving Bunim, who was the president of RJJ. And my grandfather was instrumental in getting Rav Hutner his first job as Menahel of RJJ. So they had a, quite a connection. And uh, my grandfather, when he married my grandmother Sophie or Shifra Friedland, they got married in the apartment of, and I'm just kind of to jog my memory here, they got married in the apartment of Rav Sender Lynchner, who was an Adem of Rav Shraga Feivel Mendelovich. And uh, Rav Hutner was... He officiated the marriage in that apartment. If I'm not mistaken, recollecting what I wrote, um, he wasn't officially clergy at the time, so he ended up being a witness on the marriage, but he was Masada Gedushin. And so there was a, a, a deep, deep connection between my family and my grandfather and Rav Hutner and later Yeshiva Zerbeinu Chaim Berlin. Um, and it, I was then named after Rav Hutner, so it's, a, it's definitely a big schos. It was a serious amount of name dropping you just were able to pull off just now in the, in the family history, but that's, that's incredible. The, did your brothers, before you learn in Chaim Berlin, did the family maintain that Chaim Berlin connection? So interestingly, the answer is no. My brother actually, my brother Reb Herschel, okay. whose name is Tzvi Yehuda, he's named after that grandfather, Reb Harry Iziger. Um, he actually later went to Tver Salamelech, and we both attended the Yeshiva Taratamima because my father was the principal there. So I attended Taratamima. Um, I should mention my grandfather. That grandfather was Nifter in 1958 when my father was still a teenager. And um, just an interesting thing, very often in interviews, people will ask a guest, if you could meet one person, you know, who would it be? And people give examples, you know, if I could meet Rashi, the Rambam, the Vilna Goyen, if I could sit with Rav Shach for three hours, you know, what would I give? But I'm not sure that I would be on the level to have a discussion with, these, with those people. But one person I would really give anything to sit with would be that grandfather, Rabbi Harry Hiziger. I heard so much about him. When I wrote the article about him a decade ago, I spoke to many people, including the Novominsk Rebbe, whose father had a shtibo in East New York. And my grandfather used to daven there. And they all described him as the most charismatic, warm, influential person. He was a powerful orator. He just had so many interesting things about him. 
He was a warrior for Shemira Shabbos at a time when many people were not keeping Shabbos. And um, I would give anything to meet him, to sit with him as a, as a person who was a pioneer of Yiddishkeit in the early to mid-1900s. Um, we were in Zeicha, and I'm sure that my father and his one brother, Reb Chaim Hizger, my dear uncle, and my aunt, Mrs. Esther Gortzman, would, would surely give anything to sit with their father as well. Jeez. And before I get into trouble, I should mention my mother's parents. You know the way it goes, but the, my grandparents, Reb Zev and uh, Bessie Feller, who was known as Willie Feller, who were also pioneers in Coney Island, for battle, they battled for Yiddishkeit, they were Makarov people, they were tremendous goyim chesed, and uh, I was like to know them, although I was younger, as the youngster of the family, I was only uh, a child and a teenager when they passed on, so I knew three out of my four grandparents, I was not like to know my, my paternal grandfather, and uh, I, I would have loved to... Uh, to meet him and hear his insight. How did he know when Rabbi Hanu Wasserman came to America to connect himself to him? And he has, I have letters in my possession from my grandfather writing about issues bef really before their time, before Rabbi Aaron Cutler were, was battling against certain movements, encroaching on pure orthodoxy. My grandfather wrote letters reflecting those very views. Where, where did he get that? Where did he get the knowledge? Where did he get the Ashkafa from? I would love to sit with him, but... Uh, Did some of it, though, has your father absorbed some of that, uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, that, that focus on the kalal, making sure that uh, the people should be there, some mitzvahs, that passion. It's interesting that you mentioned that. There is a component of it where my grandfather was very knowledgeable in the field of kashras, and even though he was an engineer by trade, he had tremendous knowledge in the sciences, and that's something that my father perhaps inherited, because my father wor has worked in kashras for many years, totally on a, uh, not on a, I don't, I don't know if the word is professional, but he didn't do it as a career. My father did it almost as a hobby, as a passion. My father's been involved in kashras for, for decades, so uh, perhaps that's one area. Shmir Shabbos is not something that we, Baruch Hashem, grapple with today, um, but uh, there's no question we speak in our family about my grandparents with tremendous reverence and I don't know who's the one who said that in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you come from, something to that effect. So um, I, I, I still glean tremendous inspiration from my grandparents, and uh, we're here today. So I went on, just to talk about yeshiva education, I went on to learn in yeshiva Taratamima, uh, and I was there from kindergarten all the way till post base medrash, till the Shir of Ripsama Faival Shostol. And um, I don't know if it's a bigger chiddush that I made it through Taratamima for 17 years or that they put up with me all those years, but be that I'm as I'm sure it you were a model student. Come yeah, on. of course, of course, absolutely. <laughs> so then you're Shalom Fievel. I went to Shalom Fievel Shostol for a little over two years. Uh, tremendous schos. And going to Taratamima, the dream was, was always to reach that plateau, you know, Shalom Fievel Shostol Shir. Um, and following in my brother's footsteps, then I went to learn in Eretz Yisrael, where I learned by Reb Nechemia Kaplan. Reb Nechemia is the youngest son of Reb Baruch and Reb Tzenvichna Kaplan, famed pioneers of the Beis Yaakov in America. And um, that was a, a That's interesting. It seems like a little more of a unique 
path, was it? Or did you have a chever that went with you? For the no, I actually went by myself. Most of my friends went to Brisk. Um, and it is a kachim, Reb Nechemia had a kachim-oriented yeshiva. We learned kachim. And Reb Nechemia is the son-in-law of Reb David Salvechik. Oh, um, and that was, he, he's an American-born Rosh Hashiva. So it was a unique combination. Were Americans were in the yeshiva with you, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it was, a, it's a, it was an American mm-hmm. yeshiva. And uh, I made tremendous relationships over there with new chaverim. It was a unique chevra of 35, 40 bachrim with Yungalite. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a kind of change of pace. I came from Taratamima, which is a, a large yeshiva. And here I was in a smaller yeshiva where I knew no one. Um, but uh, I, I greatly, greatly benefited from that. And I learned by two people, Rib Shemafayim Shustal and Rib Nechemia Kaplan, who are two of the most humble, self-effacing, some of the warmest people you could ever meet. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that the Rabbani Shalom guided me the way he did to where I ended up. You know, so no regrets. So right. I was in Eretz Yisrael from Sukkot after 9-11 till the following Pesach. So it was for about a year and a half. Okay, and then to that from there to BMG. And then I went to Lakewood. Yep. Now, here's a question that you may have not seen coming. During that Kufa, when you're in Eretz Yisrael, very often Talmidim will have some kind of a picture of where they're going to want to end up. Right? Rabbonus, Chinuch, professional, you know. Did you at that point kind of have a picture of where you wanted to go? So I did have a, a notion that I would go to Lakewood and that I would eventually either end up in the field of Kashrus, because as I mentioned, my father's in Kashrus, and I always had a great interest in it, or that I would become a Rebbe of some sort. Um, I, I have a certain soft spot in my heart for Bachram. I always thought I would work with Bachram. Yeah. Now, I should mention, I will get into it, I was always doing writing. I was always writing. As a Bachar, as a youngster, later on. Interestingly, when I was in Eretz Yisrael, every Moetzei Shabbos, I would write a letter home, following in my brother's footsteps. My brother, when he learned in Eretz Yisrael, he would write letters home every week, mm-hmm. recounting the things that happened in the week, the interesting people he met, and so on and so forth. And... Uh, I kind of did the same thing. When you say writing, you're talking about like with a pen and a piece of paper? With a pen and That's a paper. Like, you don't have to turn on the pen. It just works. Literally <laughs> sit. I would sit at a table in my dira. Yeah. And um, after a while, I started looking out for things to write. Stories, interesting people I met. The people I would go to for Shabbos meals and so on. And my mother began taking those letters, making photocopies and giving them out to the whole family. It became a thing, Yitzi's letters from Eretz Yisrael. So I was doing quite a bit of writing then, um, obviously not on a professional level, but um, that was just an interesting tidbit. Yeah. Did you, can you attribute your great education at Turret's Mimo with some writing skills? That's a good question, definitely. We definitely really, we, we got, my father was the English principal, so, <laughs> you know. Great uh, English full, department there. Great. Full disclaimer. <laughs> my, father was, my father ran an excellent department, and he was actually consulted by many other yeshivas on how to do it. There's no question that I got an excellent education in Tartmima, both in Limudai Kaddish and Limudai Chayil. 
But as far as writing is concerned, um, a lot of credit goes to my mother. During my Masifta years, I went every summer to Camp Silver Lake. And every day, virtually every day, every other day, I would write a postcard home to my parents. Again, just a short synopsis of what was going on in camp. I was probably the only kid in camp writing postcards home at that frequency. And my mother would actually send the postcards back to me with my grammatical and spelling mistakes circled in red. <laughs> like how RSA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, today, I don't know if that would fly, but um, that's really where it started. And uh, I was always writing. I really was. I was always into writing. I must give credit as well to a friend of mine, Ellie Bohm, who, when we were both in Masifta and then in Beis Medrash, started pulling, putting out a weekly, at, at the beginning it was weekly, then it was bi-weekly, halacha newsletter. He was very into halacha, and he would write a summary of halachas on different topics, and he gave me the job of editing. Actually, a few times he gave me the schuss of writing, so I wrote on topics of kashras, I wrote articles on, on chalavakum, on gvinasakum, on yoshan, on bishalakum and pasakum. These were in English, right? In English, very clearly written, reviewed at the time by Rabbi Sherol Belsky, and we were mailing them out to shuls all over to the United States. You imagine two Bachram and Masifta slash Beis Medrash. And that helped me hone a lot of my writing and editing skills. That's really where it started. So I was 17, 18 years old, and we were doing this. It was a project we, we undertook together, and I'm um, very grateful to him for that opportunity. So, if I were, getting back to what I asked you about being able to see Alt Bacher, you know, the kind of work that you would be doing. Well, maybe you didn't see it as a profession, but certainly you were, you were actually laying the groundwork. So I, I was, and if you would have asked me then if I would have viewed myself to become a writer or a slash editor, I would have said I would love to do this. I'm just not sure if I have the requisite skills to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I. I was still kind of, kind of getting my feet wet. If you would tell me, oh, you could work for Art Scroll, I would have said, uh, where, where could I sign on the dotted line? But Art Scroll's Art Scroll, you know? And at that time, um, I was just being honest about where I was as far as uh, career is concerned. Sure. So. All right, so before we get into the professional thing, so there was a Tkuf of Kail, I'm assuming, right? Yes. I'm assuming, in, uh, just, you know, I'm assuming. In, in Beis Medrash Kavaya, I was learning uh, for a few years. And shortly, not that long after my marriage, Rabbi Lipschitz from the Yatet, who was my wife's uncle, and I should mention that when I came back from Eretz Yisrael, I went into the freezer, and then I was introduced to my wife. She was actually the first girl that I went out with. And um, my wife is Ita Bracha, a daughter of Ramosha Dev and Bashi Morgenstern of Muncie, and a granddaughter of Reb Yaakov Lipschitz and Reb Gershon Morgenstern, both very, very early pioneers in Muncie. Um, and she's the, actually the great-granddaughter of Reb Levine, Rav of Detroit. And she's named after her grandmother, a daughter of Reb Levine, Reb Bracha, an Isha Chashuva in her own right. Um, and my wife's uncle, Rabbi Lipschitz, editor of Yated, um, knew that I did writing. And he asked me if I could help him out. At the time, he was kind of running a one-man show, 
doing a tremendous amount of work in publishing the Yatet. We're going back how many years now? We're talking about now 2005. So I was at the time 24 plus years old. I was fairly young. Um, and I started doing editing for the Yatad. And I loved it. I loved the responsibility. And I'm truly grateful to Rabbi Lipschitz for giving me an opportunity. If there's one person within the realm of publishing who I owe my career to, it's Rabbi Lipschitz. When you, when you have a passion for something, when you want to do something, and you know this from filmmaking, all you want is an opportunity. Give me a chance to show that I could do what I think I could do. And Rabbi Lipschitz allowed me to do that. I'm sure you learned from him also. I learned a tremendous amount from him, not only in writing, just in, the, in dealing with issues. Um, and one particular thing that I'm very grateful to him for is that he allowed me to develop on my own. He didn't micromanage the way I wrote and write it like that. No, he let me do my thing. And that's a big compliment in the field of writing and editing. Some editors and publishers are very, very particular. And they'll say, you know, my way or the highway. And Rabbi Lipschitz allowed me to develop. And he, and he gave me great responsibility at a fairly young age. At 25 years old, he was basically telling me, I trust you to make this editorial decision. Can you tell me the kind of work you were doing at the Ated? What was it? He was, he was sending me articles that were coming in from columnists. Uh, he was assigning me writing jobs. People would pass on and he would give me the responsibility of writing an obituary, um, the letters to the editor of the paper. He would, giving, he would give me manuscripts you know, to decide on whether we should publish them or shouldn't publish them. Um, and more than anything else, I would say there were probably three or four seminal events from which I gained tremendously working for the Yatet. Number one would be the Rubashkin saga. When Shaul Mordechai Rubashkin's story broke, at the time, back in, we're talking about, uh, what was it, 2008, 2007? I don't remember the exact year. Um, People were reporting on it, but Rabbi Lipschitz was the first one to say that there's an injustice here, and I'm willing to put my newspaper, my career, my parnosa on the line to fight for the truth. And that's not an overstatement. It's very easy to look back now. Baruch Hashem, Shalom Mordechai is free. People came to realize the injustice, especially when very prominent people, governmental officials, prominent attorneys came on board. And it's very easy to look back now and say, oh, of course, you know, the Rubashkin campaign, why wouldn't the Yatad fight for a man who deserves to be defended? At the time, it was really not a simple matter. Uh, in fact, I remember one of the editorials, at the, uh, I wrote the page three editorial after a, a, a pretty significant development in the case. I don't remember what it was. And someone came over to me and gave it to me over the head. Why'd you write this? Why'd you write that? Who said? Who said that the Yatad should be defending? Um, and so it wasn't a black and white matter at all. Were you nervous? I was not nervous because I, I was following Rabbi Lipschitz's lead. He was so confident and he had the courage of his convictions. And I just really, we all followed his lead as a group at the Yatad. Um, we knew that what he was doing was right. 
And then we saw, gradually, we saw media and then Askanim come on board, organizations. It became Klal Yisrael's project to stand up for Shal Mordechai, but it was not like that from the beginning. Uh, and just to add to that, at the time that Shal Mordechai was incarcerated and Rabbi Lipschitz became his, you know, prominent defender, so to speak, they began learning Chavis Avavis every week on the phone. And it was Tuesday night, and we were at the Yathed making the paper, and everything would stop because the phone call was coming in from Shom Mordechai. And it was, it was surreal. We would sit, when I say we, myself, other editors, staff members, and we would watch as this man, who was facing a 27-year sentence, ultimately, was sitting and learning Chavis Avavis with Rabbi Lipschitz. It, it was like out of a storybook, a really unbelievable thing. And um, it was very, very inspiring to live through that. We really lived through it. And um, a lot of this was documented in the Yated, and ultimately now a book came out about the Rabashkin saga. Um, and I, I just learned a lot from, from Rabbi Lipschitz. And uh, he knew which battle to take on. I, I would say that there's a chachma in, in knowing who to fight for, how to fight for them. I should mention also that he, it wasn't only in the newspaper, he was devoting a tremendous amount of time privately meeting with Askanim, raising funds, dealing with lawyers, and so on and so forth. And uh, ultimately it was a, <clears throat> an effort of many people, but uh, Rabbi Lipschitz's role in that can never be overstated. And uh, that was one thing. Another seminal moment, I would say, saga was when a very prominent moil was being targeted by New York State, and the Yathed took on that campaign, and I remember being on conference calls, and writing articles, editing articles, standing up for Brismila. Rabbi, Lipsch Rabbi Lipschitz realized that when New York State was going after Mitzitza Bepe, they were really going after Brismila as a whole, and uh, again, he led the fight for a, a, an age-old, Mitzvah and Minug. Um, I mean, you, you think that the purpose of the newspaper is to report the news, not to be advocating or fighting for so causes. True. So true. He, Rabbi Lipschitz really redefined what a Torah newspaper accomplishes. It's not just about reporting the news. And perhaps this is part of the mission he was given by Rav Shach when he started the paper. And, and hopefully this is something that I learned a little bit from, um, I doubt I would have had the courage to do what he, what he did. I really uh, took a tremendous amount of, of conviction, but, but I, I stood on the side and watched and tried to learn from it. And, uh, and then finally, more recently, open orthodoxy, the battle for the purity of orthodoxy and to call out those who are diluting orthodoxy calling what they're doing orthodoxy when it's truly not orthodox. Um, and that also, that's something that he led the charge. And uh, so these were, I would say, three pivotal periods of time that I learned a lot from him. Um, and I'm very grateful to him for that. But then came Art Scroll. We got to hear about Art Scroll. You know, the opportunity to join Art Scroll is something that I cannot put into words for someone like me. I grew up writing. 
I grew up reading. I was a tremendous reader. And Art Scroll was, uh, I, I really don't have words. Art Scroll was everything. Art Scroll was, was and is the pinnacle. And I'll give you a, mon a mundane analogy, and I hope you'll forgive me for it. Imagine a kid grows up as a, an avid Yankee fan. And he gets a phone call one day from the Steinbrenners who say that, you know, we would love for you to join our team, but we want to hire you. So this lifelong Yankee fan will say, uh, sign me up. I mean, I'll, I'll be a ball boy. I'll clean the field. I'll clean the dugouts. Just give me the opportunity. And that's how I felt when an opportunity came my way. And the thanks is to Mrs. Chayla Kaufman, who I've done a lot of writing and marketing work with. Um, and she knew that Archko was looking for someone. She was really the shatchen. And she asked me if she should place a phone call to Rabbi Gedalia Zlatowicz. I said, of course. Like, this is uh, a great opportunity. So what do you do for Art Scroll? So that's a, a complicated question, because <laughs> we do a lot of things. Yeah. I knew that was um, coming, but I... I... I do writing. We do tons of marketing. We'll get into the Inside Art Scroll idea, which kind of uh, came into being shortly after I joined Art Scroll. Um, in a nutshell, I would say that it's brainstorming and creatively implementing ideas to grow the Art Scroll brand. That, that's how I would synopsize it. Um, and it involves so many different things. And I'm fortunate in a very unique way to sit in on all the editorial meetings, on all the marketing meetings, brainstorming meetings. It's an unbelievable opportunity I, I, to sit down the hall from Rabbi Zlatowicz, Rabbi Gedalia, who is carrying on the legacy of his father, Rib Meir Zlatowicz, who I did know on some level because I published two books with Art Scroll before I was working for Art Scroll. And Rib Meir was so kind and generous to me, um, really in a, in a tremendous way. And obviously I, I idolized Rib Meir. He, what he accomplished by founding Art Scroll is unparalleled. And Rib Gedalia is doing an unbelievable job. I re I've already learned so much from him, from his creativity, from his determination, from his clarity. Um, he has a tremendous chush, an ability to know what's going to sell, what's not going to sell, how we should do things. So to sit down the hall from Rib Gedalia's Lanowitz, just feet away from the office of Rabbi Nossin Sherman, and down the hall the other way from Rib Shia Brander, a legend in his own right, and then the rest of the staff here, which Rabbi Sherman always reminds us, Rabbi Meir Zlatowicz called this a genius cluster, as you know, from Rabbi Eli Cronin Graphics to all the other people, and I know I'm going to get myself into trouble if I mention certain people and not others. It's an unbelievable schuss. I, I almost can't believe that I'm here. I, I really, it's, uh, it's a dream come true. No question about it. For someone like me growing up, writing and editing and, and appreciating the beauty, the magnificence, the precision of Art Scroll, and now to be here a little cog in the wheel, just the fact that they let me into the building each day. <laughs> they let you in. Are you able to now story. see? Are you appreciating more um, some of the attention to detail or some of the chachma that goes into the process? Absolutely. So a few people ask me, what's the difference between publishing books with Art Scroll mm -hmm. before you worked for Art Scroll and now that you're working for Art Scroll? And I'll give an example. Two nights before this book, Powerful Moments, 
came, uh, went to the press, Rabbi Shia Brander was sitting on the manuscript, analyzing it. He noticed that something was off with some of the fonts. No one would have ever noticed. But to have someone with Rabbi Shia's um, perfection, his eye for perfection, his eye for beauty, working on the book was the biggest compliment. And I should thank Mrs. Finkelman, who edited the book with Mrs. Firestein and Mrs. Dicker, who did an amazing job paginating all the people who, who made this book come into being. So being here and seeing it happen was, was unbelievable. I, I, I owe a He's taken me on a magnificent path from being a young, younger man, given a chance to write for a newspaper, to now being given a chance to be part of Art Scroll is, is really phenomenal, a dream come true. And, and I, I, I thank the Rabbanishlam for allowing me to, to do it. And I doubt that he should continue to give me the ability to contribute in some way to the Art Scroll brand. I have no doubt you will. Prior to, go, to joining Art School, I got the opportunity to kind of collaborate with you a little bit when we were working together from the CMHS. Yes. That was shortly before your stint here, uh, before your job at Art School. Yeah. I shouldn't call it a stint, so you know. But the, the um, so I, of course, was working on the videos, and you were working on the Haseem magazine, right? That's correct. It is uh, something that I'm very proud of, um, and ultimately something that came out of being in the field of publishing. Our mutual friend, Rip Shmuley Rosenberg, who actually was a, a roommate of mine when we were both learning in Beis Medrash Kavaya and the Irv. I think it was room 278 where we were roommates. Who would have ever thought that years later, Rip Shmuley would the, be the marketing, what was the official title? The marketing officer? Grand Poobah wizard, I don't know. Who knows yeah. what Rip Shmuley did for the recent CMHS at MetLife Stadium and that he would coordinate for me to have the opportunity, Rip Ralph Reader, gave me the opportunity to direct the publishing of the Hasia magazine, which we have here. Yeah. This is the magazine that we put together. Um, 330 plus pages of content, articles about the CMHS, about Tafiemi in general. There's a good article in there about the guy who made the videos, I think. Yeah, there is a pretty nice piece <laughs> on uh, Hananya Kramer. Oh, oh, yeah, Taka, that's what it was about. Yeah, right. And it, it was, it was a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I don't know who will do the next one, but this was a very, very unique opportunity. I will say, yeah, you also were very helpful in the actual video production themselves. We had many, many meetings together with Rup Shmuley to discuss right. strategies and try to make these films for arguably the biggest live audience in Kali Yisrael's history. It was an amazing experience. The script writing, if you remember, we were sitting in some hotel not far from MetLife Stadium, there, that's right, brainstorming, Hilton Meadowlands or something. Uh, writing script for the videos that were shown right. to, the, to the audience. Um, I remember also being given the job of coming up with the quotes that they put on the, all the billboards or those... The jumbotrons? Uh, the jumbotrons outside of the stadium. Um, just being part of the production of the CMHS was an unbelievable experience. Yeah, there's some things that are legit historical. You know, these, it's, it's, it, it's epic in the real sense. It really, it really is. There's another thing here. I brought it just because it's interesting. This is a book that probably no one ever heard of. It was a labor of love that I undertook in 2007. You show it to our audience over here? Yeah, right here. <laughs> it was a book that was put together in honor of the 20th anniversary of the Yated. And as an employee of the Yated, I, I felt that, you know, this is something yeah. interesting. I wanted to commemorate 20 years of a Torah newspaper. 
And the idea was to collect letters of approbation, haskamas from a hundred rabbanim, and then articles from lay leaders, and then pictures of covers of past newspapers. And we put together a book. Is this Benimsa? Can someone get this book? Uh, probably if you contacted the uh, TED office. Whoever sees it is amazed by it because it's, it's really an interesting... Is it on the Hissinger coffee table at home? I mean, uh, <laughs> If I had a coffee table, maybe, but not really. It sits on this farm shrunk mm-hmm. collecting dust. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many people have seen it because we kind of did it internally. We printed a couple of thousand copies. Um, but it really is an interesting book. And it took a tremendous amount of effort and time. Um, and at the time, I was just very, very driven to do it. So that was also an interesting, uh, an interesting project that we worked on. And, um, hmm. and here we are. Well, and here we taka are here in the art school studio. I remember um, when I was, uh, the first time you and I got to have a meeting here in your art school capacity. So you shared with me this idea to do a series of shows. At the time, I had already been talking about the idea of doing more studio kind of work at Art Scroll. But to be honest, it was so premature, the concept. All we knew is that I can I know have been doing work with Art Scroll for well over a decade. And um, a lot of, 15 years now. So the, the idea of being able to, instead of schlepping up the gear and setting up the green screen, why don't we just dedicate some space? But space is a premium until we moved from 2nd Avenue, 2nd Avenue, and right. to, Rawway, here in Rawway. to here in Rawway, New Jersey, to this magnificent and huge facility. So the idea was, let's, let's dedicate some space for a studio. Now, when I was talking about dedicating space for a studio, just find me a corner of a room where I could paint the wall green. But it really didn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, chachmad beyond just that. Where would it be? What would be the reason for it? How often do we actually need it? I mean, Rabbi Sherman does do his weekly Devar um, Taira, his moments of inspiration, which Kanayin Haro, we're now in year number five. Oh. Every week he does not miss a Devar Taira on that week, Cedra. And uh, we, you know, in, in the past I would come up, bring up some of the green screen, or Sherman would, you know, knock out a few Devar Taira, and we would just, uh, so it would be great if we could do it here. So in talking with, uh, with you, you had this idea for a show. So wh- one of the ideas that I had, I pitched to Reb Gedalia, when I first joined Art Scroll, was to do interviews with writers as a means of kind of, you know, my intro to the show. We say bringing the Hello books again, you read. Hello again, welcome to Inside Art Scroll. The books, the you, po- read, books you read and, and the, the people, people who write them, them come, come to life. life. And that was really the idea. The idea was we have writers, talented writers, or the protagonists of the story. In the case of, let's say, Rabbi Yitzhak David Grossman, uh, that book was written by Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, but I interviewed... Rabbi Yitzhak David, and the idea was to kind of give it a different dimension. And Rabbi Gedalia loved the idea. And when I heard that there is an existing studio at Art Scroll, at the time it was in this beautiful room, which by the way, we could talk about the green screen in a moment, but it was a room that was suited for filming. And I hear that Rabbi Hanania Kramer is the one who films Rabbi Sherman every week. I said, we have it all here. Everything we needed was right here. And Reb Gedalia, I'm grateful to him, not only for accepting the idea, but for allowing us in working together to kind of launch it in our own style. Again, 
not micromanaging how to do it, what to do it, kind of let it develop. By the way, I learned that, now I, I've, I've referenced that a few times, I learned that great leaders empower people to do creative things and let them fly. Not micromanage. If you believe someone has the ability, let them do it. Yeah, sometimes you have to make suggestions, but uh, that I'm very grateful for, for, to him for allowing us to develop the show um, or program or whatever it is. I, I thought of the name Inside Art Scroll. Everyone thought it was great. And uh, I don't remember, you, what was the next step? Uh, we just started doing it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a... Uh, who's our first guest? I think our first guest was... Rabbi Zlatowicz himself with Rib Srili oh, Besser. That's right. It was the Rabbi Trank book, that's which right. ended up going on, going, on, going on to be one of the best sellers, perhaps of all time. Um, I mean, the for awesome sure, f- one of our favorite books. That's right. And that, that interview was actually a challenging one because we were interviewing two people at once, exactly. figuring out how to do it on the fly. But the actual product looks like very similar to the ones we're doing yeah. now, which... I get, you know, no one can really appreciate how the fact that you know, the, the technology evolved around us as we continued the process. So, Baruch Hashem, be able to hold on to our first episode. <laughs> no, it's pretty impressive. I, I've gone back to watch some of them. Um, and we should talk about the fact that I hosted the show altogether. <laughs> I want to, uh, you know, full disclaimer. When I presented the idea to Reb Gedalia, let's do interviews, it wasn't a means of me getting a stellar. I didn't come in and say, I want to do a show. I should be the host. Uh-huh. By no means. Um, I, was, I just thought it was a great idea, and if they would have suggested that someone else be the host, no problem. I just thought it was a good idea. And I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was you who said, you know, Yitzi, why don't you give it a shot? Um, and interestingly enough, it's something that I've studied over the years, the art of interviewing. Mm-hmm. Public speaking, these are things that I'm, I'm, I take an interest in. When someone gets up to speak publicly, I'm immediately subconsciously analyzing their vocabulary, their cadence. Wow, I do not want you in the audience <laughs> next time I got to speak, but okay. Listen, yeah. when Yeshver speaks, he's okay, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's okay. Rabbi Pesach Kron is his father-in-law, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, people. So um, it is something that I had well, an I interest has in. It, and, and now that you've been doing this, can I know her for like a year and a half? Yeah. Doing Inside Article yeah. episodes. Sure. You've gotten feedback, right? I mean, this has been I like, you know. I get a lot of feedback. I get a lot of feedback to the style of interviewing. Um, I do have a method in my interviewing. I know there are different styles. Yeah. Some hosts are more combative. I'm a little more easygoing about it. I, I've watched, you know, the famous people like Larry King and others who were, were and are considered master interviewers. Right. And, and I picked up different, uh, you know, nuances of how to interview and the main key in my, and I'm by no means uh, I'm not trying to come off as some kind of you know professional interviewer but but I have studied it and I, I think the main key as simple as it sounds is to let the people talk you ask a question so you shouldn't interrupt I'm just kidding I'm trying to interrupt okay <laughs> and by the way sometimes timing, you know. sometimes I'll watch myself yeah. and I'll interrupt the person and I'll cringe why did I interrupt the person? Why didn't I let the person talk? But kind of, you're a facilitator. So ask the question and get out of the way. The way I look at it, because I, I don't have to interview in the same way you do, but I also, in my own capacity as doing documentary video, I find that I'm always representing the audience. Exactly. So if there's a question that's on your mind and no you question. think it's going to be on the audience's mind, I think it's okay to sometimes interrupt. Because I agree with that. They're like, they're, why is he not addressing so, that point? 
let, let me clarify. It's in the flow of conversation. Mm -hmm. So if, and I, again, I'm just talking off the top of my head. This is just, uh, you know, a little banter about interviewing. If we'll probably I, just edit this part out anyway. <laughs> if I ask a question, I'll try most of the time yeah. not to ask a follow-up three seconds later. Let the person get the thought out and then follow up, like you said, a very good point. The audience is going to have questions. You want to ask the questions that the audience member would ask if they could. Right. No question about it. I think that's integral to the success of an interview. Um, but just There is a psychology in the whole thing. Because you have to watch your interviewee as we continue to schmooze about interviewing. Yeah. You know, if they get into the zone and they're thinking about things, you need to stay on their exactly. wavelength. So this so, way they... You know, I find so when, right. whenever we so do, right. when we have to do work on tributes about people who've passed on and there's an emotional component to it, I find that there's a certain point in any conversation, if it's working well, they get into that zone and they're there and you don't want to pull them out. That's when you ask the question something like, um, what do you miss most about not having that person in your life anymore? Right, right, and that's right. When, and then you right. get the waterworks. Absolutely. And I know that this is like vicious, but at the same time it's good for, makes, makes for good videos. I'll tell you another theory of mine. And I would love to hear from people who are watching this if they agree. I believe that if the guests are at ease and comfortable, then the people at home watching are also at ease. If you make a guest squirm, besides that they probably won't come back again, which may be fine, but the people at home might be squirming also. So you're not into gotcha journalism? No, not, not, not in my, not, in, not on Inside Art Scroll. You know? <laughs> Maybe for that time. Inside Art Scroll is more of a, a, a friendly confines where we're here to discuss you know, books that come out. I love getting into the details of the lives of the well, people. Well, that's the I thing. Most of your inter inside articles, they're not really about the books. I mean, no, you, about you do the cover them, but it's the people. It's about the people. And, I, and the truth is, I think I was born with a certain inquisitiveness. Yeah. I love to know about people. I could probably interview anyone here at Art Scroll. Seriously, anyone in the bindery here, I could probably pull out any employee, sit them down, mm -hmm. and have a, a, a great conversation about where they come from, what inspired them, who inspired them. Um, what makes them tick? Well, that's why Inside Art School episodes are not four minutes long. Right, they're right. longer because. By the way, you're, you're touching on something that we d we've discussed. I know this is people in the audience might think like, why do they make it so long? Well, it's been thought about a lot. It's been thought it's about. It kind of seems like it has a different purpose. I have a proclivity, if that's the word, to go long. I could probably do most interviews for an hour in length, but the decision and the consensus is that. An hour is a long time, and try to keep it as short and to the point as possible. Right. So we try to find a happy medium, because I, I like to get to the kishka, so to speak, of, of each guest. Well, it does I'd seem like it's working, though. I mean, saying, you know, you were, the, the feedback seems to be that you're doing it right. Yeah, no, Baruch Hashem, the feedback is very positive, and I'm grateful to you and your team at Kolram for, uh, we have Tim here, who's uh, Shout out to Tim. engineering. And Colin and the rest of the of the Hevra uh, really do a wonderful job helping us through. And what people don't may not know, or they don't know, is that we actually do very minimal editing. What they watch at home of Inside Article episodes are almost verbatim the way it takes place, right? That's I right. mean, maybe a here or there, someone says the wrong thing, or we once had a guest who forgot to thank his wife. Yeah. So I think we, <laughs> I think we allowed yeah. him to come back. <laughs> And we By the way, thank it. you, dear. Really, thank you. This is okay. <laughs> but, um, but other than that, really, the way we do the interviews is uh, is the way the, the way people see them. Yeah. And I, I like that because it's authentic. Yeah, there's nothing fake about these interviews at all. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah, everything is completely legit, including this beautiful room we're in. You gotta love this 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 these. You know, take a moment. 
right? Since you're I making mean, a joke out of it. Yeah, well, no, you, well, I'll, let me, let's explain this, because I think this is actually Explain quite, what a green screen is. Explain. Yeah, you know what I'm going to do, actually? I'm going to take out my phone. Okay, okay, here is Rabbi Hissiger right here, right? You see this green wall? And if you turn around, you can see the cameras. And then we can see ourselves up there on the screen. But this area is completely green without any seams. Even the wall's curved over there. But the idea is that when the computer can take out the green and replace it with a background, what we discovered and what we've kind of been working on here at the Art School Studio in particular is that, uh, in, that um, more an immersive 3D environment. So whereas this is not just simply a flat background, you can't just find an image like this on Google and throw it behind people, but Tim and Colin and, the, and uh, my very creative graphics team was able to create an environment with multiple angles to look at. So when the camera's on me and I'm talking, it's one background. Right. When the new one's on a different background because the computer sees it as a full 3D environment. So because of that, we're able to create spaces like this where the art scroll books, we were able to put whatever books we want back there, and those are actually legit books. Those are not, you know, those, when I say legit books, they're actual 3D representations of actual right. real Farm. You know, can I know over the years of working with art scroll, we have a large library of art scroll digital assets, if you will. You know, but I've gotten a lot of comments from people about this rug right here. <laughs> the rug, right? They want to know, where do you get the art scroll rug? Yeah, where rug? can I get an art scroll rug like that from my house? And I try to explain that the rug doesn't actually exist, yeah. and that these beautiful storm drunks don't actually exist. Uh, you know, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. Ah, like yes, the Madimian that we live in. But, but it is a beautiful background that you've created, and the fact that we have a studio here at ArtScroll has allowed you well, the to is do incredible. so I mean, many projects. I'll tell you, because of this brainchild of this show, thanks to you, and the fact that Rib Gedalia and the whole team of ArtScroll was willing to let us expand the studio here is not just the painted green wall, but we have this, the soundproof room sure. and the fact that we have the control room and a place for people to wait. It's a very comfortable place. Um, we were able to let lots of organizations come sure. to Art Scroll. Right. And then when COVID hit and we needed to create all this virtual dinner opportunity, so all these Moses now had a place to come that was Bukovic, not so far away. I used to, used to schlep people to crazy from Murphy the studios in the middle of nowhere. Here you come to Art Scroll, and if you're coming with uh, people, then they get to potentially get a tour and see what's going on, where all their favorites farm or how they're being made. So this has been such hashgacha. It's been great for us. It's been great for Klal Yisrael. And the fact that I can uh, spend my hours here when I'm my office away from Baltimore, it's been a real schus for me. No, no question about it. It's been a, and, and the show has been a, a, a unique part of marketing Art Scroll. And it's a shame it should continue. Um, I see it like more than just marketing Art Scroll. It's a window into the... I've spoken to people who enjoy the show that they get to understand that, you know, the challenges and, this, and the successes of these different right. authors. It, it, it's enriching. There is a, it doesn't another, feel like spin of marketing. It's like a really understanding. Them. No, really. And, and people enjoy it. And I, I've gotten emails, phone calls, messages from people literally around the globe yeah. who are who watch this program See, this is marketing for the show but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> but um no really people yeah. people really enjoy it um uh, what nice from entertainment yeah. nice kosher yeah great conversation yeah. great guests we've had some very special people come down the truth is i'm grateful to every single guest who has come down the people who made long treks the Boston Rebbe was here 
Uh, we did do the Rabbi Yitzhak Dov Grossman interview virtually yes. because he's in Eretz Yisrael, which, Israel, which is a unique Mitzvah challenge. Shem. I hope to do uh, that kind of work with you more. Yeah, you know? So we, we've done all different types, and I'm grateful to everyone for uh, making it possible. I, will, I do want to mention, because I don't want to forget, there's another project that I undertook when I joined Art Scroll. another idea. I don't remember whose idea it was. It was probably bandied about even before I was here, but I was happy to kind of bring it to fruition, and that was creating a weekly Shabbos newsletter where I adapt material from existing art scroll titles, which, Baruch Hashem, there's plenty to choose from, sure. both from new titles and old titles. And um, by now we're printing thousands of copies of this newsletter every week. It's going out to hundreds of shuls throughout the United States. And if States. I didn't get it in my shul, how do I get it? Well, you could email me, yhisiger, at artscroll.com, and we'd be happy to add your shul to the list. Um, it's uh, gratis. We, we you don't have, charge for this. We don't charge for it. And uh, the feedback is... Uh, There's something people say over the Shabbos validated. table. They yeah, the Vreitaira stories, something for children. And again, I want to thank Reb Gedalia because when, I, when the idea was discussed, Reb Gedalia said, go for it. And Mrs. Aviva Cohen here at Art School designs it. And we print it on site. And Reb Aaron's Lotowitz who helps me with so many things here at Art Scroll really is my right hand in terms of getting it out and making sure that it's uh, done in a timely manner. And I'm very grateful to Reb Menachem and Bina Bronstein, who are the sponsors week in and week out. Mm -hmm. They enable us to provide this for free to the community. And right now we're reaching hundreds of shuls. I have a dream of reaching 1,000, 2,000 shuls eventually. Virtually not a day goes by that I don't get some kind of request yeah, from a shul. Beautiful. Really? We start off with 10 copies. If someone needs a little more, we're happy to accommodate. And I, I hear about it uh, I hear about it all the time. Uh, I took a trip to Florida a couple months ago on behalf of Art School. We met with some shuls there, and it was amazing to see the newsletters sitting there you know, in the right. shul, people picking them up and reading them. So... You walk over and say, <coughs> look at this. <coughs> it's, 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 a, it's a special feeling, again, just to be able to have the opportunity to do that, to take the art school material and get it out there to a wider audience. We allow people to, uh, to feel uplifted, to have something to say at the Shabbos table. But Rabbi Hissiger, I heard you wrote a book, right? I did write a book. <laughs> or, a, or a new book, I should say, Powerful Moments. Short stories. Okay. Which is in, there, there is an interesting history to my short story writing, which is a kind of instrumental in understanding how this book came about, how my two prior books, Food for Thought, one and two, were published. It was at some point, uh, I don't know how many years ago, where I just had a feeling inside of me that I wanted to use my writing to empower people, to uplift people, to give them positivity. You look in the media, online, elsewhere, th- there's a lot of negativity. Sure. I just felt like everything negative about Klai Yisrael, you'll find. Not enough positivity. I know it sounds like so basic, but that was the feeling I had. And I started a column called Food for Thought in the Yated, a weekly column, just writing short stories. In fact, I had a friend who told me, Yitzi, I read your column when it's three paragraphs. If it's anything more, I will not read it. Like, the idea was for it to be short, true, sweet, to the point, and with a, posit- with a message. 
It has to have a message, something to take away. And I just started writing, and I would look for stories. I would look for them in Svarim, in Lashon Kaidish. I would look for them in, in books. And then what happened was, in short order, people started sending me stories. I wasn't even soliciting stories at that point. But people were sending me stories. And people would say, you know what, I have a good food for thought story. Like when people would tell me that, I was like, okay, so you, you understand what I'm trying to craft. It was a brand. Um, and that meant a lot to me. When people started calling me and telling me that they have a story for me, that was a validation. I said, okay, I think we're onto something. And the way it appears in the paper every week is as a short story in a box. And some weeks I'd have two stories, three stories, four stories. And people would ask me, why don't you just make a full page of the stories? And I said, no. There's a method to the madness. It's short and it's in a box. People don't feel overwhelmed by it, even if they don't have time to read anything else because people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. They're going to have time to read this. Um, And this went on until I decided to compile them and add new stories into one book and then another book and then this book. And I believe that over the years, the stories have only gotten better and better because I've become more selective about what type of stories I'm going to publish. Stylistically, it's similar to the Food for Thought series? Yes, I think that though the selectiveness as far as the stories are concerned, like I said, I just became more picky. A lot of Gedolim stories start sounding similar. Mm-hmm. So if I have one story about a Gada and then another story that's very similar in nature about a different Gada, I probably won't publish it. I want something fresh. I want something new. You mentioned also truthful and authentic, and I think it's yep. a big thing today. A hundred percent. So how do we go about that? How, what's, is there a verification how do you, process? Like, what right, do you, how when, do you determine the veracity? Someone tells you a great story. story. Okay, yeah. I, mean, I can't ask Reb Chaim Eisner if it really happened. He's not here now. True. So. so older stories, you can't do anything about it. You try your best. If you know that it's published somewhere in Lashon Kaidish in a safer, you'll look it up. Um, but stories that happen to contemporary people, I'll always track down the source. In fact, very interesting, just recently there was a story that made the rounds. It's not important what the story was. Mm -hmm. And quite a few people asked me, did you hear the story about so-and-so? I didn't see it in Food for Thought. Why didn't you write it? And what happened was is that I called 10 different people. I even spoke to the person who shared the story on the Komavasar hotline. I tracked him down and I asked him, who's the source of the story, and he himself cannot point me to the source of the story. So I never wrote it, even though it's a great story. And it made the rounds, but so be it. I'm going to try my best. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. You know, you know the way stories are. Even the person who it happened to will tell it over differently than someone who's watching the story happen. And You can only try your best. But what I do try when I write stories is to take notes when the person is telling me the story, I'll write it up, and then I'll email it to them to review, if I can. And this way, the stories are, are, are as accurate as possible. Right, and so these stories in powerful moments um, are about real people. And what we did was here, like I did in Food for Thought 2, was put in pictures. If you look in the book, you'll see pictures of some of the G'daylim and some regular people. Um, I have a story in here about Shlomi Dax. Uh, we have a picture of him as well. Um, That's and, actually and kind and of unique. Most of, most of the... Uh, many storybooks don't. Story books don't have it, yeah. you know, but, so the idea is the pictures help 
make it feel more real, more make comes it to more life. real. It, it it draws people to the well, story. Tell me who you, describe me who you think your audience is here. Who who's the target? Who would appreciate these stories? Any really anyone. Men, women, children, Bahram. I hear from everyone. I'll, I'll tell you something interesting. You're talking about audience? The biggest compliment I get is when I, I hear from very prominent people. We're talking about leading Rosh Yeshiva G'daylim who tell me that they read the books. Uh, I, sometimes I'm taken aback. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest fans who's not here with us anymore was Reb Moshe Goldberg. Reb Moshe Goldberg was a magachir in Yeshiva G'daylim of Toronto. I did not know him at all. One day I get a phone call. Uh, he had an issue with a story I wrote in the newspaper, that is. And, uh, and he gave me some kind musr. But then he was mechazek me. He said, the reason I'm calling you is because I read your stories every week. Now, Ramesha Goldberg, for those who didn't know him, and by the way, I, I never met him, but I spoke to him many, many times. In fact, I'll tell you something interesting. On my phone, which I don't have with me, on my phone I have a voicemail that... Rabbi Goldberg left me in 2018. I never erased it. He called me to thank me for a, a story I wrote that he felt was very, very important. And he was just calling to give me chizik. And I never erased the message. It meant so much to me. Ramesha Goldberg is a person like Pasuk Puma Megir. So he learned Torah the whole day. You want to hear something interesting about Ramesha Goldberg? And this is a story I once wrote. I don't know if it's still there, but his, he lived in Toronto. His address in Toronto, when you typed it into Google Maps, what came up was a picture of his house. I think it was August, whatever year it was. It was Ben Azmanim. In the picture, you see Ramesha Gobrik sitting on his porch with a pile of svarim next to him on Google Maps. <laughs> and there was something I wrote. It wasn't a story per se, but it was a point. Everyone knew Ramesha Gobrik, Ben Azmanim, would sit on his porch with his svarim next to him. And I brought out a lesson. I said like this. If Google Maps took a picture of us at any given time, what would Google Maps find us doing? Ramesha Goldberg, Google Maps found him sitting ben azmanim and learning. It was a Musa Haskell. You know, you say, Chazal tell us, there's an Ayin Raya, there's an Oizen Shemas. What? What are we doing at any given moment? So that was a, a lesson that I once brought out. But Ramesha Goldberg was a tremendous source of chizak. Here he is, tremendous Talmud Chacham, Mechaber Svarim. Again, someone who spent his days learning Torah. Again, those who know him, who knew him, won't be surprised. He had an unbelievable Ahavasa Torah. I can't describe what it was like. And here he is calling me and telling me to keep writing stories. So people like that... Uh, really spurred me to keep on going. And the fact that people still send me stories, um, just a tremendous chizik. And I should say that I didn't invent the genre of short stories. It's not, you know, I didn't reinvent the wheel. There's someone named Rabbi Pesach Kron, who I believe you know quite well. I've heard of him. <laughs> Your father-in-law kind of was a pioneer in that. Um, Rabbi Yechiel Spiro, my good friend, Rabbi Yom Przansky, they, they write short story books that are bestsellers. Make sure that you have every one of their books. Um, what I do a little differently is that a lot of my stories in this book, not my stories, but stories that people give me, are vignettes that maybe would not fit in other books. Some of them are shorter. 
Some of them are more to the point where the lesson is almost as important as the story. And so you could pick up this book, Powerful Moments, and turn to any page. And you'll be inspired by a story. You could read it. There's no, you know, you don't have to read it al Hasidr. Um, but like, uh, like I called the subtitle, Stories to Ignite Your Spiritual Flame. You'll walk away feeling better about yourself, better about your mission, uh, better about your clarity of being Mekadoshim Shemayim, about using your time wisely, whatever it might be. That's the goal of... Uh, you organized it according to topic? Yeah, it's organized according to topic. If I need to, to come topic, up with a speech and I need a good vignette, I'll be able to find something con- to connect to a topic? Hopefully or you'll be able to find something. Um, talking about validation of people reading the stories, every Yom Im I get a call from at least one Rav. I need a Ne'ila story. I need a Kol Nidre story. And I always say, how many Kol Nidre and Ne'ila stories are there? That's like hard. Um, but people do call me often or email me and say, you know, I'm speaking, do you have a story on this and this topic? And I try my best to share, you know, what comes to mind. I'm not so, I'm not so good at finding stories on topic. Actually, my brother, Reb Herschel, is much better at it than I am. And I should mention my brother for a second because besides the chizik that he gives me and the fact that he's a, a prominent rav today, a magachir and a masifta, and a fount of Tyra knowledge and stories. If I ever run out of stories, I could just pick up the phone and call my brother and he'll probably take care of me for a few weeks till I get new stories. But um, my brother's a, a, a tremendous role model in my life. And I hope I'm not embarrassing him by saying this because I'm not saying I've lived up to his stature, but having an older brother who, who is a Talmud Chacham and, and such a with tremendous insight clarity, just his smarts, his intelligence, it made a tremendous impact on my life. I would would say that in my formative years, having an older brother to look up to, he was probably the most influential figure in my life. So uh, I'm I'm very fortunate to have, and I only have one brother, so I'm not worried about any of my other brothers being jealous, and my sisters, I think they're okay with it. I look up to them also, but my brother, is, is, we all look up to him, and, uh, and I'm very grateful to him for his guidance, for his chizik, for his stories, for, for everything. Rabbi Hissiger, this has been fun. I, I mean, I, I think this is, a, you know, it's wonderful. Look, it's such a schuss to be able to do something professionally where you know you're connecting to so many people, you're making a genuine difference, right? Everybody? There's no question about it. Um, there are diff- very different methods of creativity and reaching people writing, music, which, by the way, we could talk about also. Oh, that's right. You used to be, you were on an album, right? You? I was. So, I know it's, we, we're, we have to wrap up soon, but just tell me a little bit about your um, musical. It's very interesting. When, uh, growing up, I had a passion for writing, and I also had a passion for music, or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know which one was bigger. I love music. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love music. From when I was a very, very young child, and by the way, I attribute a lot of that to my brother also. My brother has a great musical ear, and he introduced me to, to music at a very young age. I grew up listening to probably Mordechai ben David, Avram Fried, Regesh, which my brother was a, a huge chassid of, um, Miami Boys Choir, and the music of A.B. Rottenberg, Journeys, Dvekas, later Levin Evish, things like that. I was growing up post-Kalbach, 
you know, pre-today's music, I would say those were the five main musical influences. Um, when I was a young boy, my brother used to actually take me to the Regesh Kumzitzin yeah. on Chalamoid in Rebavish Brot's house in Flatbush, later in Rebluza Brot's house. And he gave me an appreciation for that authentic music of Reb Shmuel Brazil, which till today I, I can't get enough of. So I grew up loving music. In fact, you're going to laugh at this. Here's a tidbit probably most people don't know. But my career, so to speak, started when I was a four years old. And my mother's very close friend, Cheryl Noble, was producing 613 Torah Avenue with Mrs. Rifka Newman. And there was, there was an opportunity presented, how would you like to appear on 613 Torah Avenue? So at the time, we had records in our house. And I remember I was very scared because how are they going to squash me to fit <laughs> into the record? Yeah. I remember having some kind of thought, but then they explained to me that, no, it's, it's, it's fine. And there's a line on 613 Torah Avenue, I think, for the album on Birchus HaShachar where a cute little boy says, if you please some Eli Deli, canadals made from matzameli. And that young child is yours truly. So that was the start. Um, not really music, but <laughs> I guess that genre. That's fine. And yeah. um, later on, an another funny story I'm just thinking of. I loved Avram Fried, like I mentioned. And uh, around the year one, was the album of the time, and I felt that uh, I should be singing with Avram Fried, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's only right. right. So I took a cassette tape, because that's what we listened to then, and I put it into a tape recorder, and I think I put tape on top of that little tab in order to allow right, it to record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that album, had, uh, I think the song that I decided to sing was Yismechu. Yismechu v'malchuscha and I started singing because I was going to sing with Avram Fried without realizing that, no, I was singing over Avram Fried. So we had around the year one with Avram Fried and a little Yitzi Hiziger <laughs> by Yismachu. But anyway, to fast forward, when I was a bacher in Camp Sovalik, a friend of mine, Reb Chesky Slamowitz, and later Reb Yisrael Yeager, Reb Chesky Gross, and some others, we got together and we created a a non-professional album of songs that we composed mm -hmm. and we sang and we sold it in camp for tzedakah and we did it for several years and after the third year I was always the creative type and thinking big and I, I was saying to myself some of these songs should really be on a professional album and maybe even we should sing on the album but I took the, co I took the album, I made copies of it and I mailed it out to basically every Jewish music producer in America. Great. Could you imagine? I was, here I was a bacher in my teens, and every producer, every singer who I could think of. And before I knew it, on my home answering machine, I had some messages. No cell phones in those days. And one of the people who left me a message was Remendi Werdiger. Remendi Werdiger of the Werdiger Mishpacha fame, brother of Mordechai ben David, son of Reb David Werdiger, a, a Balmenagin par excellence in his own right. Reb Mendy is uh, fantastic. And he calls and says, he's Reb Mendy Werdiger from Aderet Music. Uh, he loved the album. He would love to speak further. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, was, I cannot believe it. I thought it was, it was a fabrication. Anyway, to make a long, long story short, I ended up going down 
Tim Ramendi, and I met him, and he told me he loved the sound of the album, which we call Tachlis. It wasn't my name, it was, uh, I think it was Rebcheski Islam, what's his name? And um, he said, this is really great. It's yeshivish music. How about if we produce a professional album? Uh, I was tickled pink. And I remember going back to yeshiva to announce that Mendy Werdiger agreed to produce Tachlis professionally. Um, I still can't believe he did it, by the way. And he got Shlomi Zagra as the arranger. And this is going back. In the happened. This the Taka happened. It happened. In fact, we have it right here. This album right here, Tachlis. And uh, I sang on it with three others. Um, two of my compositions appear on here. It's awesome. And what year is this? Like how long this ago? This is 2001. So in September 2001, at the time of 9-11, I recorded the vocals. Um, and then the others recorded their vocals. And I sat with Shlomi Zeiger. We chose the songs. And he wrote the arrangements. And we did harmonies. Um, I remember Epsrilli Werdiger, who today is a, a, a famed Balmanagan, and one of our favorites, uh, actually sang in the choir at the time. I don't remember how, how old he was. Um, it, it was an amazing experience. So there we were. We, an album came out. I, I went to learn in Eretz Yisrael that circus, and the album came out while I was a bacher in Eretz Yisrael. Did you still see this as a, as a hobby, or did you potentially think this might become a career? So... <laughs> it's funny, I never really saw it as a career. First of all, I never thought I was really good enough to become whatever it is that you become. I don't know what you become. <laughs> what um, number you become? one. Number two, I didn't envision yeah. myself as a right. performer. Um, you know, there's something I like to say. Any bucher growing up today, sinking into his deodorant bottle in his dormitory room, you know, belting something out, thinks that he's going to be the next Shweki, or the next Shmili Younger, or whoever it is. You know, the Avon Freeds, the, the Mordechai Ben Davids of the world, and the other young, now the young singers. How many people wake up in the morning, a bacher, and say that they dream of being the next Rabbi Pesach Kron, or the next Rabbi Nossin Sherman? How many people wake up in the morning and say, I want to be the next Rabbi Nossin Sherman? I don't know how many people. There aren't so, so many writers. It's unfortunate. I think in order to have readers, which is in the best interest of Art Scroll, I think we need to cultivate a young generation of writers. Um, it's not a strong point, but you're asking me, what, did I ever think of going into music? And the answer is really no, but I still, I still love music. Yeah. I love it. I listen and... and um, Came through on your Inside Art Scroll episode with Joey Newcomb. With Joey, we sang. Uh, by the way, can, can I mention something funny about that? <clears throat> Joey came down for an interview. We discussed nothing beforehand about what we were going to be recording. Right. Certainly not the books he's written for Art Scroll because he hasn't. No. <laughs> we actually interviewed him because he worked on a project with the oh, Rabbi yeah. Trank book. He did that's a video. What, that was, that's right. So I sit down in that chair. Joey sits down here. His guitar, I told him to bring his guitar. Maybe play for us. And you were fiddling around with the cameras. And I said to Joey, this is like a, a baltashkes. You have a, cam a, a, a guitar. <laughs> Let's sing a little. So he pulls out his guitar. You know Joey. He's uh, the most easygoing, sweetest guy around. And he said, of course. So we start singing. And you stop motioning to me from your window that this is really beautiful. Keep singing. 
And this was totally impromptu. So Joey and I are singing and doing harmony and this and that, and you motion that you're starting to film. So you started filming, and that's why that episode of Inside Arch Girl starts over with us singing. It was totally unplanned, and that's why if you go back and watch it, I laugh and I say to Joey, are we really doing this? I meant that sincerely. Where did this even come from? And we ended up going through the whole interview, singing and talking. Anyway, it was so it much was, fun. It's great. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. So the the medium of writing is definitely something that I've put my heart and soul into, and I cherish it, and I appreciate the opportunity Looking for Art Scroll to publish this book. And I don't take it for granted. I I wrote to Rabbi Brander and Rabbi Sherman and Rabbi Zlatowicz. I don't take it for granted that just because I work here that they printed this book. I'm humbled, I'm honored that they agreed to do it, and I hope that people are inspired by it, by the stories, and if people have more stories, I'm always uh, open to hearing them, but it's, uh, it's a great opportunity, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak about it. Yitzchak, so, this has been so nice. It's, you should you. only be zeichet to continue to use all your kaiches, your talents, your creativity, Thank you. And to affect so many people in Kali Yisrael and to inspire them. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you again for everything you do for Kali Yisrael. Thank you for inviting me to invite you to be <laughs> on your show. This is so much fun. We have to see if the next Inside Art Scroll, if I'm just going to take over because yeah, listen, I'm I, having a blast. I was going to say that you shouldn't do too good of a job because then I'll be yeah, out of a job. Exactly. But I, I think you did a fantastic job. So <laughs> Thank you. if I'm ever not available, we know. We'll see if you send emails <laughs> to uh, Rabbi Hissiger about how great the episode was. Make sure to tell them that the host, the guest host is... Thank you. Thank you for facilitating this conversation. And thank you for having me. Thank you.